Okay, good morning everyone. Hey, believe. This is week 14 in our believe journey and we are considering single-mindedness this week. In our reading, in our Ohana groups, in this message this morning, what is single-mindedness? Well, one dictionary defines it as having only one purpose or goal or interest, focused on one thing. Our question this week is, how do I keep my focus on Jesus amidst distractions? And our key practice is listed right up here under single-mindedness. Let's say it together. I focus on God and his priorities for my life. One thing I do. How do we do that? I'm hoping that we can give some practical helps through this message and through this week. And I'm going to give you an assignment, which I think will move you toward that end. If you're not sure what that is and how you do it. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, those chapters 5 through 7 in Matthew, lays out so many principles for living. But one of the things he talks about is not worrying. In chapter 6, about 10 verses there, he says six times not to worry. Now the interesting thing is that word that is translated worry there comes from a, a Greek word merimnao, which means to have a divided mind. And Jesus said, don't worry like those who don't know God, because your Heavenly Father knows that you need, well, people worry about what to eat, what to drink, what to wear. He said, your Heavenly Father knows you need those things. You can trust Him. You don't need to worry. You don't need to have a divided mind is what He's saying there. And so he said, instead, we are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all those things would be provided for us. A divided mind. I heard about a fellow that went to a psychologist, and, and he told the psychologist how worried he was. The psychologist said, are you indecisive? The guy said, yes and no. He said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, I used to be, but now I'm not so sure. That's a divided mind. And we're called to have a single-minded focus. From our Believe series that we started in the fall, there were some convictions that we developed about God, His involvement in our lives, and the Bible, which is inspired to give us direction in life by the Holy Spirit as, as we come to approach the Lord. From those convictions... We, need, we know that we need to have a single-minded focus. I want us to take our cue this morning from a man in the scriptures who really did have a single-minded focus, and that's the Apostle Paul. He wrote all those letters in the New Testament, half the New Testament. One of them was the Philippian letter. And in the third chapter, I think there are some keys as to why he had a single-minded focus that it they can help you and me as well. So I want us to consider those. And by the way, Paul had plenty to worry about to divide his mind. I mean, as he went about his ministry, I mean, he was beaten countless times. He was stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked more than once. He, he was imprisoned. He was harassed. He was ultimately executed. And yet he said, 
One thing I do. We're going to see what that is and see how he did that in just a moment. There's an outline in your bulletin, and I want to just bring out three principles from Philippians chapter 3. Here's the first. A single-minded focus on living for Christ begins with the startling realization he's offered for free what I could never earn. In this letter, one of the things he did was to remind them as to who he was under Judaism. He'd been the up-and-coming rabbi of Ju Judaism, by the way. He was a Pharisee. He came from a renowned tribe. He, he had all kinds of religious credentials to his credit. And he had all of that. And he said, you know what? When I came to know Christ about him, I traded all of that and counted it as loss that I could know Christ. And then he says in verse 8, more than that, I count all things to be lost in, viewing, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now let's go back one section and, and look at that previous, those previous verses, just the previous slide. I want you to notice a contrast here. We talked about Bible study and observation last week. What do you observe that he used to trust in for his righteousness, no longer is, that he now is trusting in? You see it? He says that I may be found in Christ not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. See, when he was attempting to live according to the law of Moses, it would have been his own self-effort. It would have been his own righteousness. That, you know what that's called? Self-righteousness. He said, I'm not trusting in that. What is he trusting in? Faith in Christ the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Trusting in what Christ has done for him. He had a choice, and so do you. He could have trusted in his self-righteousness, which would never get there. Or he could trust in Christ's righteousness, which is a free gift. He could never earn that. He said, I'd trade all this for Christ. And that helped him keep his single-minded focus and also helped him to see the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Do you value knowing Christ and having his righteousness more than all your good works and efforts? I hope so. Because these are really rubbish compared to that. These will never do it. But his righteousness will. I think sometimes... We fail to see the surpassing value of the righteousness that he freely gives us because we're too enamored with our own good works, the religious activities that we do. That's self-righteousness. Now, forget that stuff. Let's lay hold of Christ and count on his righteousness, which is freely given to us. You may remember the time that the 
gospel says that Jesus came into the home of a very religious man, Simon, a Pharisee. And they're eating when a woman who has a really bad reputation comes in, broken because of her sinful life, comes to the feet of Jesus, weeping in repentance. Her tears are falling on Jesus' feet. And she probably sees that mingled with the dirt. And, and she takes her hair, long hair, and just wash, wipes off his feet. Ho! Oh, that Pharisee is just incensed. He's, he can't believe that if this guy's a prophet, he would allow that woman to even touch him. So Jesus turns to him and said, Simon, I have something to tell you. And he told him this story, this parable. And I'll just summarize it. Basically, he said there was a master. He had two servants. And they both owed debts to the master. But one, just a manini little debt. And the other one, a huge debt. Well, in the process of that story, Jesus said, the master forgave them both. And then he said, Simon, which one of these guys do you think would love the master more? He said, well, I suppose the one who was forgiven more. He said, bingo, or something like that. He said, you, you got it. He said, that's right. He who has been forgiven much loves much. That woman understood that she'd been forgiven much. Simon didn't realize that he needed to be forgiven much because he was so religious. Folks, when you understand, when I understand that our innate goodness is rubbish, it'll never do it for us, but he gives us forgiveness, we will love him much. That'll help us to have a single-minded focus. Secondly, we'll have a single-minded focus uh, on living for Christ, and, and it'll fuel my efforts to accomplish the purpose he has in mind for me. Paul opens this up in verse 12 when he says this, Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, and that word can be translated mature, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to look at that verse. It, it's almost paradoxical. Uh, if you circle things or write in your Bible or underline things, you, you might want to circle that word that and ask yourself, what is that? Look, he says, I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. That is the purpose that Christ has for his life. He knew that he'd been saved, but for what? For that. For that which he'd been laid hold of. To accomplish the purpose, the specific purpose that Christ had for his life. And he knew what it was. In Acts chapter 9, we read about Saul, who became Paul. His con conversion to Christ, how he met the risen Lord. And then Ananias, that servant of Jesus, said, The, the Lord Jesus has sent me to tell you that you're going to be sent on a mission for him. You're going to suffer many things, and here's what you are to do. Proclaim the gospel, the good news of God's grace. Well, when he completed his third missionary journey and he was going back to Jerusalem, he stopped in Ephesus, one of the churches that he'd planted. He met the elders of that church on the beach. They came down, and he said to them his life purpose. He said, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course 
and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. Here it is. To testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. That was the that. That was his purpose. And he understood it. And he focused on Christ and Christ's purpose for his life. To proclaim the gospel of the grace of God. What about you? Do you feel like you've found that which he laid hold of you for? His purpose for your life? You can do that. He wants to reveal that to us so that we can give ourselves single-mindedly toward that end. Mark Batterson is a pastor in Washington, D.C. It's a national community church. They meet in Grand Central Station there. Dee and I have had the privilege of hearing him preach a couple of times at conferences. and He's written some amazing books. One of them is In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. That's a worthwhile read. He wrote Circle of Prayer. And then he's written a book called All In. And in this book, he talks about a century ago, these missionaries who were called one-way missionaries. Because when they would go to the mission field, they would purchase a one-way ticket on a ship and pack their belongings into their coffin, put it aboard the ship, and when they sailed away waving goodbye to family and friends, they knew they weren't coming back. It was a one-way trip. By the way, the missionaries that came to the islands, they did that. They packed their belongings in New England and came that first wave of missionaries with them packed in their coffins. Well, he speaks of one of them called A.W. Milne who went to the New Hebrides in the South Pacific. And Milne knew when he set sail that every missionary that had gone to those islands before him had been killed by headhunters there. But he wasn't afraid of dying. Remember, he'd already packed his belongings in his coffin. But he arrived and he stayed for 35 years. And when he died... They buried him in the center of their village. They erected a little tombstone, and on it it said, When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. That's a life's purpose, isn't it? That's single-minded focus on Christ and his kingdom. Batterson says this, When did we start believing God wants to send us to safe places to do easy things? That playing it safe is safe. That radical is anything but normal. Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. Faithfulness is not holding the fort. It's storming the gates of hell. The will of God is not an insurance plan. It is a daring plan. And the complete surrender of your life to the cause of Christ isn't radical. It's normal. It's time to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Wow. I'm convicted when I read that and hear of lives like A.W. Milne's. And yet I know that there are people in this very church, uh, and you know them too, and would acknowledge that, yeah, they've done that. They've understood that. They've given their lives toward the cause of Christ and made a huge difference with their lives. Well, I want to mention one that isn't in our church, but she was an 18-year-old girl in well, in Nashville, Tennessee, Brentwood, suburb of Nashville, in 2006, when she went to Uganda. And uh, she spent a few weeks there on a short-term mission trip. 
She went back in 2007. Her name's Katie Davis. And uh, when she was there in 2007, she was working in an orphanage there. But she began to notice all the children just sitting by the road or out working in the fields. And she realized they don't have an opportunity to go to school. There's no government-sponsored schools. So she decided, I'm staying. So she started writing home. She started getting kids sponsored so that they could go to school, get school supplies, get some medical attention. Uh, she was uh, getting them one hot meal a day and sharing Christ with them as well. So her little school eventually grew to 50 and then 600 in one place, 1,200 in another place. And by 2008, she had adopted three orphan girls, this young woman. And uh, as of today, she has 13 orphans that she's adopted. But what she says about all that is interesting to me. She says, people tell me I am brave. People tell me I am strong. People tell me, good job. Well, here is the truth of it. I am really not that brave. I'm really not that strong. And I'm not doing anything spectacular. I'm just doing what God called me to do as a follower of his. Feed his sheep. Do unto the least of his people. Well, that's powerful in the sense that it's not her works. It's not her righteousness. It's simply being a follower of Jesus. And to me, that is outstanding. And will be if you and I find what it is that Christ has for us to do and give ourselves to it. I'm going to give you a hint in just a moment as to how we can do that. Because over 30 years ago, I went to a conference in which Dr. George Rhodes shared. He's a Christian psychologist at the Ola Ho Clinic in Pearl City. Still yet. And uh, he was teaching some of us leaders uh, about uh, just priorities in life. And that's what our key principle is this week, to focus on God and his priorities for my life. And he said, typically, you'll hear it taught that we need to list our priorities in order. First, second, third, and fourth. God, let's put God first. Then, okay, my spouse and family. Then my ministry. And, and then my work and, and so on. He said, the problem is, that's not too practical. You can't really tell your employer, sorry, I'm not going to be coming in until the fourth week of this month because I really have to give God first place and then my family and then my ministry and then I'll see you toward the end of the month. That probably isn't going to fly. So Rhodes said, you know, there's a different way to look at it. And that is instead of a list, see your priorities as a circle within a circle. And I've got it right here. You put Christ at the center of your life. First place, seek first Christ, his kingdom, and his righteousness. And then everything and everyone else should be out here, okay? Probably different size slices, but just for the illustration, I'm going to put my spouse here, and I can bless my spouse if I respond to my spouse as Christ directs. To husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Uh, wives, submit to your husbands, it says in Ephesians 5. And there's much direction in Scripture that Christ directs us in how to respond to our spouse. Same way with uh, our job. Boy, you can go to Colossians or other places in Proverbs that tells you how we ought to be good employees, okay? 
or employers in, in our job and let Christ direct us in that. Our children, same thing. Ephesians 6, for instance, gives us clear direction there and, and other passages as well. Our pets, well, I'm not sure if there's too much about how we should treat our pets, but, but uh, one lady left Friday night service and said, oh, no, there's some verses, and she gave it to me, but I forgot. Well, I love pets. I especially love dogs, but anyway. You might have to have a separate category for cats, but anyway. That's another story. I'm off on a tangent here. Okay. But the point is, if you put Christ at the center, he tells us how to re handle our resources and our finances. He does, if we want to be blessed. So that's putting God first and letting him direct our priorities from the basis of what he tells us in his word. Now, the problem is, sometimes we put anything else in the center but Christ and displace him, and that becomes idolatry. Some people put their children right there in the center. And everything in the family, all the activities center around that child or those children. That's a great disservice to those children. It deprives them of the blessings of growing up with love and discipline and to know the Lord. Sometimes we may put uh, our job in the center and then we really get messed up too. Or our money, our resources become so important to us when the stock market plummets, we're devastated. But not if Christ is at the center of our lives. Sometimes we put our enemy at the center. You say, what? Why would you do that? Well, you don't probably mean to, but if you hate someone so much that you can't even sleep at night or you can't even eat because you're thinking about that, that person's coming to the center. But Jesus said, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. If we begin to do what Jesus said and let him direct us, pretty soon our uh, hatred will be gone. And so that's how we determine the priorities for our lives is from Scripture and Christ's direction as we are submitted to Him. Single-minded focus on Him will fuel our energy to live for Him. And then finally, a single-minded focus on living for Christ pulls me ever upward so long as my eyes are on the prize. Once I've laid hold of his purpose for my life, well, now I keep going and growing because I've got my eyes on the prize. Here's what Paul said. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, there it is, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Well, we know what Paul's one thing was, Acts 20, 24, to solemnly testify of the gospel of God's grace. He'd been intercepted by God's grace, and that's what he wanted to do as he went everywhere telling people about the grace of God. Now, if he had been divided in his mind and looking backwards as well, he would not have been effective in proclaiming that good news. Now, if he'd looked backward... There are a couple things that he could have focused on. One would have been all his credentials, all his achievements, and uh, all his medals that he'd won, you know, uh, in his religious life, because he had them, okay? Uh, he could have been puffed up, and then he wouldn't have been effectively 
proclaiming the gospel of God's grace because it would have been about his self-righteousness. Or he could have been looking backwards and recalling his sin. And he had a lot of sin. He was the man, as Saul of Tarsus, who was responsible for tracking down followers of Jesus, having them imprisoned and, and killed. That would have haunted him, wouldn't it? If he didn't know the grace of God, if he didn't know the forgiveness that Christ had extended, he'd be wrapped up in that and under a burden of oppressive guilt, ineffective for looking forward. But no, he said, I've received the grace of God. I'm forgetting all that that lies behind. I'm pressing forward toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That was the prize he sought. So that when he reached the end, he would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what you and I need to do to keep a single-minded focus. If we're looking back at our accomplishments or achievements or goodness or morality, all the good deeds that we've done, that's our self-righteousness. And we'll be divided over that and not effective now. Or if we're looking back and we're under a burden of guilt because we remember those things that we wish we could change and we feel so badly about Receive the grace of God. Move on. Forget those things because we are forgiven and press on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, keeping our eyes on the prize. When I thought about Paul's admonition to look toward that prize, I was reminded of a conversation I had with my son Rocky a while back. He told me about a visit that he and his son Brooks had to the doctor. Brooks uh, is going to be six next Tuesday. And, and this happened about oh, a couple months ago. He said, I needed Anadera. I said, why don't you take Brooks to the doctor for his flu shot? And Rocky said, okay. So he takes Brooks in. He said, oh, but Anadera said, doesn't need to get a shot. He can get a vapor mist. Oh, good. So they talked to Brooks about that, and he's, he's up for that. So they go into the doctor's office. The nurse comes in. Oh, I've got a picture, by the way. I haven't shown you a picture of my grandkids for a while. This is Weston. He's two, turned two in November. And this is Brooks. He's, he was five, still is. And uh, so the nurse walks in and, and says, Brooks, we have a flu shot for you. And he said, excuse me, I would select the vapor mist. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. We ran out of the vapor mist. Rocky said, Brooks lost it. He just had a meltdown. Oh, he was crying and everything. And the nurse left while he was calming little Brooks down. He said, Brooks, come on, Brooks. Keep your eye on the prize. And Brooks said, what's the prize? <laughs> ice cream. We'll go get you some ice cream after this. Okay, okay. You know. So here comes the nurse again. And then Brooks sees the needle. He lost it again. Oh, my gosh. Rocky said it was terrible. We just had to overpower him and give him the shot. It broke my heart. And then I understood why Anna Deere wanted me to take him to the doctor. But he said it cost me more than ice cream. I had to get him a Lego set after that. <laughs> but Brooks just wasn't able to keep his eyes on the prize there. But, but we need to do just that. But here's the thing. It's got to be the right prize, right? Sometimes we have this idea in America, oh, just have a dream. Whatever it is, it's okay. Well, that's not true if it's a bad dream, right? That was illustrated, I think, from a clip I saw this week of the Jimmy Kimmel live show that was on recently. Uh, take a look at this clip. You 
would think that the idea that North Korea might have a hydrogen bomb would be somewhat alarming to those of us who are here on the West Coast. But we went out on the street today, and it seems like if you ask people a question in a cheerful enough manner, we will, we Americans will offer congratulations for just about anything. North Korea announced that they finally were able to successfully detonate a hydrogen bomb. The world is excited. People are sending their congratulations. That's really good. Yeah, would you like to congratulate North Korea? Ah, uh, congratulations, North Korea. Finally. I mean, it's about time, you know? Would you like to say congratulations to North Korea? Any words of encouragement for them? You know, um, I think that, you know, I think if you do believe that one day you can, dreams can come true, I think. So it's, it's definitely a Disney, you know, thing to do. Would you say this is a great example of if you can dream it, you can achieve it? For sure. If you can, if you believe you can do it, then you can, then you can achieve it. And North Korea has done that with the hydrogen bomb. Then that's good for them. Yeah, you know, you just gotta stick to your dreams, and you know, anything can come true. Yeah. So you know, we see they stuck to it. Especially with North Korea and its hydrogen bomb. Yeah. Everyone's so excited for them. They're sending their congratulations. Would you like to congratulate North Korea? Congratulations, North Korea. That's awesome. Congratulations, Kim Jong-un, on everything you've done. You've done a really good job. Keep it up. Stay safe. Good work. Congratulations on achieving your dream, North Korea. Congratulations, North Korea. That's a high five. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? We, too, in Hawaii ought to be concerned about North Korea's hydrogen bomb because he's even spoken about our islands. But people have this concept that, well, whatever your dream, you know, just go for it. Not really. Not if it's the wrong dream. I mean, that would be a horrible thing to achieve that. And so what we need to do is make sure we have the right focus, the right dream in mind. How do we do that? Well, first of all, we need to identify what he laid hold of us for. What is his purpose for our lives? Put our eyes on Christ and then set our priorities according to that. And I would encourage you to do that this week. As you read in your Believe Bible, the, those scriptures that are given there, as you pray about it, as you go to your Ohana groups and talk about it, ask the Lord, what is it? What is that for which you've laid hold of my life? What do you want me to accomplish, Lord? And then write it out. Maybe it's a life statement as you can come to that. And by the way, don't forget Keala Oyesu. If you're not connected to that pathway of discipleship, that would be a great place to start. To make sure you're loving God, connecting with Him through worship and His Word, that you're connecting with one another in the body of Christ through like an Ohana group, that you're serving the Lord, that you found your gifts and you're putting them into use in the ministry, on the ministry team that God's given you. And that you're reaching the lost actively. That's what we've been called to do as well. Praying for lost people, sharing the good news. Those are things that should somehow come together to help us with our purpose. And so as we seek to lay hold of that, we determine and identify, okay, what is it? And then secondly... Eliminate those things which distract us from that, that divide our mind so we're looking in other directions. Not easy. I struggle with that continually. Just to focus, but it's something that will help us to accomplish the purpose that Christ has called us to and be single-minded people. When you think of it, 
Do you have a divided mind? Here's what Psalm 86 says. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. It's time for a decision to focus on God and his priorities for our lives. And if we do that, he'll be honored. We'll be filled with joy and fulfillment. Let's bow together for prayer. Lord, we're grateful that not only have you called us and saved us, you've called us to live out a purpose that you have for us. It's my prayer that each one of us will give ourselves to that. And Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning that is yet looking backward in terms of trusting in self-righteousness or maybe just filled with guilt, that we can receive your grace and forgiveness and forget that which lies behind and press on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Help us to do that. Trusting in your righteousness alone, Jesus, keeping our eyes on you. Pray this in your name. Amen.